Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Well, I'm so glad to see each one of you here in the worship center this morning. I know we have many more that are watching online, and uh, people are seeking to be even more careful in these days. We have seen uh, a surge in our community and in our church family uh, of positive cases of COVID, and so we're encouraging our people to use great wisdom and precaution uh, in these days. I have a son-in-law who is a family practice physician in Bryan College Station, and he was telling me that uh, he has five pastors who are his patients who are all uh, positive with COVID and two of his fellow physicians and just a host of people. Uh, He said there was one small church in which 25 different people contracted COVID. So I want us to be wise. Can I get an amen there? Uh, We want to be wise. We encourage mask wearing uh, unapologetically. We don't require it, but we encourage it. Uh, I'm trying to be very cautious because I do have a heart condition that I want to uh, be sure that I don't uh, expose myself to the virus. Uh, We have the balcony that we have uh, publicized as strict social distancing and mask wearing until you are seated in your place. So if you want to be especially careful, that's a a great place to sit. But we encourage all of you because we love you and care about you. And so we encourage you in this season uh, to take those precautions and be careful and still have a wonderful Thanksgiving season. Uh, and we're talking about seasons in this sermon series. Seasoning is the name of the uh, the series, and we are talking about the seasons of life. And we all understand the seasons of the year. The climate changes through the, the four seasons of the calendar. And uh, we can count on those seasons changing in a very orderly and progressive and predictable order. Uh, But the seasons of our lives don't change in that kind of predictable order. We never know really what season we might be entering into next emotionally and spiritually and in other ways in our lives. And yet those seasons have always been very real in people's lives. Solomon, who lived many, many centuries ago and yet was uh, termed the wisest man alive, uh, wrote a journal that he called Ecclesi- or that we call Ecclesiastes, and in chapter three, verse one, he wrote these words that have become the theme verse of this entire sermon series: "For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven." And so we've used that analogy in this series to describe the different seasons of life that we go through. And week one, we talked about winter. That winter can be a a cold, hard season in which things go dormant and even some things die. And that's necessary in order for things to bloom and grow uh, later on. But winter can be a very difficult and hard season. And we go through winter seasons uh, of life from time to time. Last week we talked about spring. We like spring. 
Uh, spring is that season where things are blossoming and, and their colors and uh, the weather's great and it's beautiful. And, and we saw last week that spring is not so much determined by our circumstances as it is about our attitude about those circumstances. And in all of these, we've been tracking these different kinds of seasons of life in the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. And so today in Joseph's life, and we'll think about in our own lives, we also have summer seasons. Now, there's some things about summer. The first thing we think of is it's what? It's hot. But summer is a season of waiting, a season of preparation, a season of growth. And, and summers can be long and hot, but they're necessary. They're necessary in our lives spiritually and emotionally because it's in those long seasons of waiting and in preparation that we grow to prepare for the harvest that's coming next. And though a long summer season may be hot, the waiting is what God uses to grow us. And so our big idea for today is this. In God's plan, a season of waiting is never wasted. It's never wasted. So as we're tracking Joseph's life, as we left him last week, he was in a spring season. Uh, He was managing the estate of a wealthy Egyptian official named Potiphar. And uh, everything that he was doing for his master, he was a slave, but he was one who had been given great authority in the estate of his master, and everything he was touching was turning out Great. So let's pick up the the biblical text in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 39, beginning with verse 6. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Uh, Joseph was rocking and rolling. Everything was turning out great. It was a spring in which blossoms were happening all around him. Everything he touched turned to gold. Spring was awesome. But in Joseph's life and in ours, spring doesn't last forever, does it? It doesn't last forever. And in the middle of verse 6, a bomb dropped into Joseph's life. Pick it up in the middle of verse 6. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Now, we don't know for sure what Potiphar's wife looked like, but we're going to assume that she looked more like Carrie Underwood than Rosie O'Donnell, all right? Uh, And so let's assume that she was an attractive woman. And so Joseph was in a defining moment of life. He had to make a decision, and it was a decision that would not only change the course of his life, but it would ultimately impact many thousands of people. 
And in this defining moment, would he choose indulgence or integrity? And those moments are critical in all of our lives because character and integrity are built or destroyed in times of temptation and decision. So how would Joseph respond to this powerful, seductive woman? We see the answer in verse 8. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? And then this last sentence of verse 9 gives us insight to the core of Joseph's character. He said, it would be a great sin against God. And yet, though Joseph answered, it didn't stop the problem. Look at verse 10. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. Joseph did what was right, and you would expect that when you do what is right, there would be an immediate benefit and reward. And in a perfect world, there would be. But Joseph's world was not perfect, and neither is yours. You can do everything right, and there will still be those who will do you wrong. Our motive to do what is right must not be just to get something in return that's good. Our motive to do what is right must be to honor God and to let him take care of the outcome. Well, in Joseph's life, there would be a long summer of waiting before he would reap that reward for doing what is right. And so we see the drama unfold beginning in verse 11. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. In verse 16, we see it continue to get more and more complicated. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. What a lie. This woman was conniving and deceitful. And when she didn't get what she wanted, she manipulated her husband with that lie to extract her revenge 
on an innocent man. Verse 19, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison, the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Potiphar wouldn't even listen to the truth. Joseph was stripped of his privilege, the privilege that he had earned with his hard work and diligence. And not only that, he was robbed of his freedom. No Miranda rights, no indictment or trial, no bail or due process, just prison, totally based on a lie. Have you ever been into a prison? Years ago, I went several times into a prison to lead a worship service, and I will never forget walking through those passageways, going deeper and deeper into the prison to where the worship service would be held. And each time, those heavy metal doors would swing closed until you could hear them locked shut. And I remember every time just kind of, it was like a chill down my back. And it gave me just a taste of what it must be like to be imprisoned and to know you don't have the option of going outside, of of moving outside the walls and fences and guards of that prison to, to see what it would be like to lose your freedom. Well, we may never physically be in a prison, God willing, but sometimes our circumstances make us feel like we're just a little bit imprisoned, don't they? They confine us because there's nothing we can do to get out of the set of circumstances. There's nothing we can do to change things in a way that would bring us real relief, and we have no choice but to remain and to wait. And when you are in a season of struggle and uncertainty, it's a summer of waiting. But if you're a Christ follower, God is still with you. He's still with you. And that's what Joseph realized. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. In prison? Yes. Abandoned? No. Verse 22. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Do you see a pattern in Joseph's life? That God was with him and he trusted God and God was faithful to him. And here, even though he is confined to the dark dungeon of an Egyptian prison, God could use Joseph. He could use Joseph anywhere. And he did. And the same thing is true for us. 
If your faith is strong and your attitude is right, God can use you anywhere. Well, for Joseph, time went by there in the prison. The months turned into years. And there are biblical scholars that believe that as many as 11 years went by in the first three words of Genesis 40. Some time later. Some time later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials. By the way, the moral at this point of the story is, don't make the king mad. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. By the way, do you think it was an accident that these two yahoos ended up in prison the same time as Joseph? No, there was no accident that they would be there at the very time they would have these strange dreams that needed someone from God to interpret them. Listen, in the plan of a sovereign God, there's no such thing as accidents. Our God is in control. And in this case, he orchestrated all this at just the right time and just the right place. And so verse 6 When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. And they did. The cupbearer had a dream that there were branches and they bore grapes and he took the grapes and turned them into wine and put it in a cup and gave it to Pharaoh. And so what does this mean, Joseph? He said it means in three days you're going to get your old job back and you will once again be handing Pharaoh his cup of wine each day. Well, The baker heard that, and he thought, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to tell him my dream. And so he goes to Joseph, and he tells him, my dream was that I had a basket on my head, and it was full of pastries, but birds came and ate the pastries. And and what does that mean? And Joseph said, well, it means in three days, Pharaoh's going to turn you into a royal shish kebab. Well, that's that's not what he wanted to hear. But, I mean, think about it. Who would have ever thought that Joseph could connect to the most powerful man in the world, the the king, the pharaoh of Egypt, through fellow inmates in a prison, and that he would have the opportunity to use that God-given gift of interpreting dreams that would later on open the door for him to be released from prison and mightily used by God. Who could have ever imagined that? But you know what? That's exactly how God works. 
He will work in ways that we would have never thought of, we would have never imagined, we would have never expected because that's just the way our God works. And if we are patient and perceptive, God always gives us opportunities to step up for him. No matter what our circumstances, even if we feel like it's a prison. Well, in our story, just as Joseph predicted, three days later, the drama in Pharaoh's palace begins to unfold. Genesis 40, verse 20. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all of his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker. By the way, if you don't know what impaled means, you don't want to know, okay? He impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. But then verse 23 for Joseph is a sad verse. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him a second thought. When the chief cupbearer was released from prison, Joseph thought his long summer season of waiting was done. And yet, the first four words of Genesis 41 says it wasn't. Two full years later. You know what? God never works on our schedule. He never works in the time that we think he's going to work. He never is shackled to our expectations of timing. Well, we'll pick up Joseph's story again next week and bring it to a close. So, looking at this summer season of waiting in Joseph's life, what are the lessons we need to learn? I, I want to give you three as we begin to, to bring the, the message to a close. Here's the first lesson. It is in waiting that we discover that we are not in control and learn to trust the God who is in control. Let me tell you something I know about you because it's true about me. We want to be in control. We want to be calling the shots. I mean, we really do. And, and sometimes that desire to control things becomes an obsession and we grip it with all our might. And I can tell you, it hurts when God pries our fingers off that obsession to be in control. And the more tightly we grip it, the more it hurts when he pries our fingers off. Well, here's, a, here's another lesson. Waiting does not have to be passive. God always has ways that we can serve him in the not yet times. You see, when God says not yet, he is not saying do nothing. 
because even though it may be a season of waiting in which the, the major shape of our life may not yet be changing, there are still ways that God can use us in those seasons. Like that great song that Dalton sang just before the message, I'm waiting, but I will worship you. I'm waiting, but I will serve you. I'm waiting, but I will share the gospel. We don't need to to waste the seasons of waiting thinking we're to be passive and do nothing. And just one more lesson. God's silence does not equate to his absence. He will move, but only when he's ready. Listen, you may not be able to see God moving. You may not be able to feel God moving, but he is moving. And he will move and change your prison or mine only when he's ready. I heard my father-in-law and many other pastors in years past say this, God is never in a hurry, but he's never late. He's never in a hurry, but he's never late. And you know what? You can't rush him no matter how hard you try but he will never be late to accomplish his purpose. So, if you're in a season of waiting, here's what I want you to do. Here's our our next steps and we're done. Number one, if you're in a waiting season, shift your focus from what you want to change to what God wants to change in you. You see, the season of waiting is not about getting what we want. The season of waiting is about what God wants to do in you. And while we're waiting, instead of just praying, God, change things, hurry up, change things, we ought to be praying, God, what do you want me to learn in this? How do you want me to grow in this? How do you want me to change so I'll be more like Jesus and less like the world? What do you want to change in my attitude, God? What do you want to change in what I understand? What do you want to do in me instead of just fighting against God because he's not changing things yet? He's not opening the prison doors yet. And the second next step is this. Watch for opportunities to step up for Christ instead of just waiting passively for things to change. You know what? In our seasons of discontent, we can miss what God puts right in front of us to do for him, to be for him. What if Joseph had missed those opportunities? What if he'd become so bitter and impatient in prison? He had missed the opportunities to interpret those dreams, which was God's pathway for him, not just to get out of prison, but as we'll see next week, to save thousands upon thousands of lives. And what might we miss if we just wait passively Or even worse, we just spend the time complaining and bitter. Instead of our prayers being all about pleading with God to hurry up and change things, our prayers ought to be, Lord, show me where you want me 
to represent you during this season. So if you think you're in a long, hot summer of waiting in which you're just treading water, then don't forget, in God's plan, a season of waiting is never wasted. Let me pray for you. Lord, I I don't know where my brothers and sisters are today. I, I don't know what's going on in their lives. I know what's going on in my life. But you know what's going on in all of our lives. And you know what it is that you want to accomplish. We may not be able to see it. But Lord, it's crystal clear to you. Help us to trust you for the things we can't see. Help us not just to be patient. Help us to be filled with faith and be expectant. And to really believe that a season of waiting, a season in which we just seem to be hearing not yet, not yet, not yet, is a season that you want to use us to use us in the lives of others and to do something deep and profound in our own lives. Oh, Lord, help us not to miss that. Help us not to be so centered on being in control that we miss what the God who really is in control wants to do in us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody.